if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, the beauty of the gospel is that God has saved us. He's freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. He's put us in Christ, who's now our life. So we've got to together to surrender our lives. Say, our lives are yours, and we're your servants. It's not a radical version of Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't call the shots. He calls the shots. The Radical Together Podcast, with teaching from David Platt. Welcome back to another episode of Radical Together. We're glad you joined us. And as always, you can listen to previous episodes on iTunes or online at Radical.net. Now, for the next few episodes of Radical Together, you're going to notice that it sounds a little different. As part of David's teaching ministry, he's had the privilege to speak at several events over the past few months, and we wanted to share those sermons with you here on Radical Together. Now, the first was just this past week, a few days after that devastating earthquake in Nepal. Here's David speaking to IMB staff in the message entitled, A Christ-Compelled Response to Nepal. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to open with me to Luke 13. My, uh, my heart is heavy and has been heavy ever since I woke up Saturday morning to the news of a 7.8 magnitude earthquake in Nepal. And as soon as I heard that news, I just immediately thought of the people I met and the faces I saw just about a year ago when I was hiking in villages outside of Kathmandu. The death toll I saw this morning now risen above 5,000, and they expect it to rise more. At the same time, I say I saw that on the news, but it's interesting. If you go on news websites right now, that's not the first story you see. Instead, the first story you see, just days removed from this massive earthquake, is headlines from Baltimore, where protests and riots and arrests and Death have resulted in 2,000 guardsmen, 1,000 police officers being deployed to the streets there. And so I couldn't help but to think about the events the last few days and be drawn to this particular text to help us think through how, how, how do we respond to these things? When we hear news of an earthquake in Nepal, do we... Do we we look at that on the internet or watch that on TV and then just kind of flip the channel, just watch the basketball game. When we see this happening, even in Baltimore, just up the street from where we are right now, do we just, just kind of go on? Is it, should it affect the way we think? Should it affect our lives in some way? And I think Luke 13 is a particularly helpful text because in these first five verses, we see two stories back to back that illustrate these two kinds of evil in the world. One natural evil and one moral evil. Listen to what the Bible says there. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. There was some, there were some present at that very time who told him, talking about Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, 
But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. For those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, it's interesting. There's some things we're not completely sure of in this text. And and Luke's the only gospel writer who records this conversation. But here's what we know. Two events are referred to here. One, the first one, an event in which some Galileans were offering sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. And apparently, they were killed by Roman troops in an ambush of sorts. So that picture of moral evil. And then the second event refers to a tower in Siloam which apparently fell unexpectedly and killed 18 people. So here you have a picture of natural evil. Moral evil, a murder, massacre. And then natural evil, a natural disaster, just this, this tower falling. And so people come to Jesus asking for him to comment on both events. And it'd almost be like going to Jesus right now and saying, did you hear about what happened in Baal? No, we wouldn't ask if he'd heard about what happened in Nepal. Um, but how do, how do we think about Nepal? Or how are we to think about what we see going on in Baltimore? And in the words that Jesus says there, I think he gives us some reminders that are good for us, four of them specifically, that I think it would be helpful for us to consider in the aftermath of the last couple of days. And along the way, I want to illustrate not just, I mean, primarily, yes, with the words of Jesus, but one of the uh, things that Jonathan Edwards wrote that has had a huge impact on me is his 70 resolutions that he had written out that he resolved to live his life according to. And there are some specific resolutions that he mentioned that I think come to bear on, on some of these reminders that Jesus gives us. So I'm going to use those as a little bit of illustration as well. But Reminder number one. So how do, you, how do we think about the last couple of days? When we think about Nepal... How do we respond? When we think about what we're seeing happening in Baltimore, how do we respond? Reminder number one, we remember that death is unpredictable. These events are intended to remind us, this is what Jesus is teaching, to remind us that death is unpredictable. In both of these stories, Jesus is underscoring the unpredictability of death. The people who were asking Jesus about these events were almost comparing themselves to those who died, assuming that obviously something had caused them to die instead of others. We're going to dive into that deeper in a minute. But from the very beginning, Jesus' point is, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, the same exact thing could happen to you. The people in both these groups died in a similar way, quickly, unexpectedly, tragically. In in fact, you think about it, both of these groups died at a place and at a time that they probably felt the safest. And how closer... And you be to God in safety than offering sacrifices to the temple in people's minds. Or what better place to stand next to than a tower that's erected to defend the city against attack. And so Jesus takes these instances to reiterate the reality that death is often sudden. These people didn't think death was going to happen. Natural disasters bring sudden death. And no, no, nobody woke up in Nepal Saturday morning thinking, this is probably the day. People just going along, walking along on mountainsides or into town, just like everything is normal. Leaving their family in the morning to go do something, thinking, I'll be back in a couple of hours, who still have not able to get back. Death is often sudden, it's often surprising. 
the horror of an earthquake takes people totally by surprise. Sudden, surprising, bottom line, death always sure. It may be sudden or surprising for many, but it's sure for all. That's the sobering reality of Luke 13. Jesus is saying that when you see natural disasters, you need to remember that death is often sudden, death is often surprising, and death is always sure. So, this earthquake in Nepal is intended to be a reminder to us that not one of us is guaranteed tomorrow. Not even today. Death will come upon some, possibly many of us, when we least expect it. Very few of us got up this morning and thought, this could be the last day. And people think, and I know I can imagine people are thinking in this room, well, this is fairly depressing. And thanks for that inspiring chapel message. Uh, and that would be a horrible way to live, always thinking this could be the last day. Not for Jonathan Edwards. Listen to Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. Resolved, and this is something he would recite daily, resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. And you may think, well, that's depressing. Why would you live like that? Here's why. Because your health and your house and your bank account and your car and your job guarantee you nothing in this life. We cling to the things of this world in vain. And it's good to remember Hebrews 9, 27. Man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. It's good to remember that. And I'm convinced the adversary would like nothing more than for us to see news on CNN and then flip the channel over to the basketball game thinking that could never happen to me. The whole point of what Jesus is saying is this can happen to anyone. So come face to face. Natural disasters, even moral evil, are intended to remind us none of us is immune to the sudden, often surprising, always sure reality of death. That is a a reality that's facing us. Which leads to the second reminder. We remember the penalty of sin which plagues all of us. Which is why we die. The penalty of sin which plagues all of us. So the background here is you've got a group of people coming to Jesus that believe that the people who experience this tragedy... um, must have experienced that as a result of some particular sin in their life. It's kind of like the people who come to Jesus in John chapter 9 and say, why is this man born blind? Is it because of his sin? Because of his parents' sin? Who is at fault for this? It's the same picture that we see in Job's supposed friends in the Old Testament when after disaster strikes, his family killing all his children, and they say to him, your children obviously sinned against God, or you have obviously sinned against God. That's the only explanation for why this happened. So the crowd here in Luke 13 is assuming these Galileans or these people crushed by the tower were worse sinners than others. They must have done something to deserve this. And Jesus confronts them in response with two truths that we see all throughout Scripture. One, he confronts them with the fact that all of our sin is universal. In fact, these people died during these disasters and it had nothing to do with whether or not they were righteous or unrighteous. Now, follow this. This is important. Jesus doesn't say that these people were innocent. The whole point, as Jesus is saying, is no one is innocent. We've all sinned, and the penalty for sin is death for all people. And any attempt to compare your sin to other sin and a natural disaster is fruitless because all of us are guilty for sin. Now, here's the deal. When we look at a place like Nepal and the generations of the worship of false gods all across that country, 
all across those villages. I mean, you see the birthplace of world religions and total idolatry in a place like Nepal. But we must be very careful, knowing that, yes, there are pictures in Scripture when God's God does certainly, all throughout Scripture, bring judgment upon particular people in their sin. But we must be careful. Jesus is saying very clearly here that it is not your place to play God and determine whose sin caused what. Instead, natural disasters are tended to remind us that we all have sinned against God. And we are plagued by the reality of sin. So the question is not, why did this happen to them? The question is, why has this not happened to me? Which is not how we think. We think we deserve blessing and prosperity. Anytime uh, war or disaster, we almost look at, we see war or disaster, we almost look at God and we start to question his goodness and his power. Maybe even people question God's existence at all. But Jesus doesn't see it that way at all. Instead, he affirms the sinfulness of all people and he reminds these people who are asking this question that this is the penalty of sin which befalls all men. So don't miss the university of our, universality of our sin, which causes all of us to look at events like these sometimes and almost point the finger at God, saying, how can you be good and do this? When all along we fail to realize that the only reason we have breath in this room at this moment is because he is gracious and merciful. The only reason we're not all cast away from him at this moment is because his great mercy sustains and saves us. So Jesus is pointing them to the seriousness of their sin. So don't think for an instant that any person who lost their life in a natural disaster is a worse sinner than you. These disasters remind us we're all sinners before God. And as a result of that, our suffering is inevitable. Jesus talking to these guys, and they almost assume that because they weren't victims in these events, that they had obviously been done something to be blessed by God because they weren't there. And that didn't happen to them which is the same theology there in Luke 13 that is at work all across our country and around our world today, this theology that says if you trust God and if you follow God and you have faith in God, then you won't suffer. You'll prosper, you'll have health, you'll have wealth. It's a theology that's being exported from large church buildings and comfortable church worshipers all over the place who claim that prosperity and financial victory and good health And easy lives are what God has intended for us now. I remember specifically sitting in a house church in East Asia. And they were asking different questions. And just after we walked through an extended time in the Word. And this one sister in the front asked a question. And she knew a little bit of English. And she had a TV back in her house. And she said, I sometimes get uh, TV, on TV I get uh, worship services from your country. And she said, I see everyone dressed in nice clothes and in nice buildings. And they talk about if you'll trust God that you can be blessed in all these ways. And then she said, I come to our churches and most of us are poor and we're suffering, we're meeting here at the risk of our lives. She said, does this mean that God has not blessed us? This is a theology that's being exported all around the world from churches here. And we know it's heretical. It's totally heretical. It's subtly, deceptively heretical. We know that if that theology were true, then Jesus would not qualify himself for the 
health and wealth gospel. It's more like the homeless and wounded gospel. Paul himself, when it comes to adversity, flogging and receiving lashes and beaten, shipwrecked. So we must obviously be careful never to equate prosperity in the world with faith in God. This is the whole point of the gospel. And here's why this is particularly important when it comes to what we do and our brothers and sisters who are serving around the world. If we think that following God brings health or wealth or prosperity or comfort in this world, then we'll never go to the toughest places in this world with the gospel. Because we'll think, well, this is, this is what God has designed for me, and we'll never go alongside men and women in the most impoverished areas of Kathmandu and surrounding villages and thousands of other places like it around the world. I praise God for our brothers and sisters who have gone out from here, who are serving in Nepal right now, who have relationships with believers, who are they're building up, and have relationships with unbelievers that they're sharing the gospel with, who have said, I'm going to leave behind, I'm going to sacrifice possessions and health and wealth in order to get the gospel to those who've never heard it. Jonathan Edwards said, resolve to act in all respects, both speaking and doing, as if nobody had been so vile as I, as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others, and that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of my confessing my own sins and misery to God. So, basically, based on when when we look around the world and we see an area, even like Nepal, with uh, rampant idolatry in all these ways, May it not cause us to reflect on others' sin. May it cause us to reflect on our own sin and our own need for the grace of God in a way that then compels us to lay down our lives to make that grace known to those who need it around us. David will be back in just a moment, but this is a good place to mention two ways that you can be a part of the relief efforts in Nepal. The International Mission Board is strategically partnering with Baptist Global Response to lead the charge in helping victims from the devastating earthquake on April 25th. BGR is on the ground in Nepal right now, and they're using your donations to meet both short-term needs and accomplish long-term goals there. And we want to ask you to consider giving to BGR. To find out more about the work BGR is doing in Nepal or to give, visit gobgr.org slash Nepal. The second way that you can give is through Radical's ministry partner, Mountain Child. Now, Mountain Child is committed to addressing the urgent spiritual and physical needs of children and families throughout that country. Mountain Child is actively working to reach and bring aid to those in areas where entire villages were destroyed. And you can find out more or give to Mountain Child by visiting mountainchild.org. And we hope that you will join us in praying that God will raise up many to pray and give toward the relief efforts in Nepal. To learn more about how to pray for the people of Nepal, visit imb.org. Now here's David to finish out today's message. Third reminder, we need to remember then to repent of our sin and be reconciled to God. That's the third reminder Jesus gives. It's the command he gives to repent and be reconciled to God. It's the main point of Luke 13. The specific context Jesus is addressing here is the Jewish people who had grown cold toward God. They lost sight of their own sinfulness, their need to repent. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't take their question and use it as a discussion about all the mysterious ways of, his, uh, ways of God. This was Jesus' chance to explain to them and by, by indirectly to us why these kinds of things happen. That's the question we ask. Why did this happen? But he doesn't answer that question why. Instead, he just looks them in the eye and says, repent. 
It's the same thing. He's started preaching from the very beginning, repent and believe. This is the same thing that we see as the constant message of the church in the New Testament, repent and believe. And in light of all that's been said, it makes total sense. Death is unpredictable. Sin is the penalty that plagues, death is the penalty of sin that plagues all of us. And so what is the recipe for all of us in response to that? We must repent and be reconciled to God. So here's where I would say to us in this room, there is no more important thing for you today to consider than the question of whether or not you at this moment are right with God. Is there sin in your life for which you need to repent? Is there sin in your life that you are toying with, flirting with, ignoring, pretending like it's not there in your life? Things that He has said to do that you are not doing. He is, things that He has said not to do that you are doing. And the word from Luke 13 is come face to face with the reality of death, with the sin which causes death. Therefore, look in your life and repent. And so, I urge you, in the same way that I, in a fresh way, in my own heart, did this morning as I was thinking through this message, repent. Jonathan Edwards said, resolve never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Fourth reminder, we remember, in light of what we see in the world, what we're seeing in the Word right here, we remember the urgency of our mission. Look at the context that comes right before Luke 13. You look back in Luke 12, and Jesus is urging His followers to get their hearts in the right place. He's urging them to be watchful, be ready for the day when He comes back. And look look at chapter 12, verse 35. He said, Stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, He would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much has given, was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand all the more. So what's Jesus saying there right before this picture in, Acts, in Luke 13? He's telling us that life is fleeting. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. What we talked about earlier, we don't know when we 
are, are going to face that last moment in this earth. Life is feeding, fleeting. James 4.14, it's a mist, it's a vapor. Your life, my life, even the 90 or 100 years, if we make it that long, it's just a mist. It's there one second, gone the next. Life is fleeting. Death is coming. And people are perishing. That's the whole point. There's people perishing in Nepal right now. And there's people perishing in Baltimore. And the reality is, there's people in our neighborhoods. You just think about this and just bring it into our own lives. You and I are not guaranteed tomorrow. Neither is your neighbor next door. And that person, any moment, could stand before a holy God. That family, every member of that family, any moment could stand before a holy God. When you think about next time you're at a restaurant, this waiter or waitress who's serving you, either grocery store and you're getting checked out, that person is one day soon, very soon, going to stand before a holy God to be judged. And so, brothers and sisters, let us live with urgency knowing that we're not guaranteed tomorrow and neither are the people around us. And we have the greatest news in the world to give them. Death has been defeated. That what starts off as a depressing message, in the end we know is a life-giving message for, because we know that in Christ, to li- in Christ to live is Christ to die is gain. It's gain. It's gain. We know that. That's, that's the news that people all over Nepal need to hear right now. That's the news that people all over Baltimore and Richmond, Virginia need to hear right now. That's people news that every person, people group on the planet needs to hear. So let's live with urgency in making that news known to them. Let's live with urgency today. I exhort you to think through the people in your sphere of influence, your family members, your friends, your neighbors, the people you you interact with at the grocery store or the restaurant who don't know Christ. Will you live with an urgency to make the good news of Christ known to them? I urge you to do that. Knowing that not one of us is guaranteed tomorrow. So, how do we respond to all these things? Surely, when we see news in Nepal, and we see news in Baltimore for that matter, surely we're compelled to pray more fervently for God's kingdom to come, for an end to a world of sin and suffering. Surely we're to plead for God's mercy to be made known and his might to be made known in Nepal. We've talked about this, just the, the design of God for prayer among his people, that we can be a part of what God is doing in Nepal from our knees right now, which we're about to do, to take full advantage of the opportunity we have to participate with God in what he's doing in the world through prayer. So let's pray all the more fervently. Yes, let's give all the more sacrificially. Let's think through all the resources we have that we've been entrusted by God with and how we can give. I'm so grateful for BGR, Baptist Global Response, and the ways that they are already working on the ground and how providentially even a couple of months ago, um, we did disaster relief training there in Kathmandu two months before this happened to be prepared for this. And so how can we, yes, it's, it's IMB, but just individually, how can we give more sacrificially to get the gospel to those who are in the greatest need? 
And then let's consider, how do we respond? So don't just turn the channel. How can we go more urgently to the people right around us with the gospel and then to peoples all around the world to continue to do what we do, whatever part we play, in order to get this gospel to those who have never heard it? Let's, let's pray. Oh God, we, our hearts are heavy when we think about people who've never heard the gospel being buried under rubble in Nepal. And God, we do, we confess, we grapple with all kinds of questions in our hearts and minds when we see things like this. And at the same time, we wrestle with just our ease and so often just moving on to the next thing in our lives without stopping to think through how seeing these things should affect our lives. So help us, we pray. Help us to be reminded today of the brevity of life which confronts every single one of us. Help us to hate sin all the more. We know that all suffering in the world is a result of ultimately sin coming into the world back in Genesis chapter 3. So help us to hate all sin all the more. Help us to repent. God, we pray for a spirit of repentance just to fill each one of our lives. That in all the ways we are wandering from you, running from you, even in some circumstances, flirting with sin, God, we praise you for your gracious call, even from your word this morning, to repent. And God, we pray that you would fill us with the urgency of the mission you've given to us. That you would use us, God, that you would use us in this room to share the gospel this week with people in Richmond. God, we pray that there would be people whose lives are changed for all of eternity as a result of us acting on what we've heard from your word today. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are in and across South Asia and particularly there in Nepal, that you would grant them an extra measure of grace and mercy as they wrestle through things in their own lives and families and as they live out of the overflow of the hope of the gospel and sharing it and showing it to those around them. We pray for our brothers and sisters in the church there that you would strengthen them and sustain them. God, that you would empower them in these days to live out of the overflow of your strength and your mercy and your grace and to show it. God, we pray that you would open people's eyes to who you are, to your might and your mercy and your love and your grace in the middle of pain and hurt and heartache. God, we pray that people would come to know Christ in the middle of worldly suffering. They would come to know you as Savior and Lord and King and the one who loves them, and the one who meets their greatest need. God, we pray for, for rapid, swift resources, getting of resources to those who are in greatest need. God, we pray that you would provide wisdom for those who are working in relief efforts. 
to serve those who are in greatest need. God, please provide common grace just all across that country during these hours and these days. And give us grace, we pray, as we think through even just long term, how do we best serve and build up the church there and best proclaim the gospel there as we live as salt and light. God, we, we pray that you would grip us every day with the brevity of life and the urgency of the mission you've entrusted to us and that you would use us, you would use us faithfully from this day until the day when sin and suffering and moral evil and natural evil will be no more because your kingdom has come and your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we live and we work today for that day. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you for joining us today. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to you. For more resources from David Platt, including those in other languages, visit Radical.net. And again, we hope you'll consider giving to the relief efforts in Nepal through one of those organizations I mentioned earlier. To give to Baptist Global Response, visit GoBGR.org slash Nepal. And to learn more about or to give to Mountain Child, visit MountainChild.org. Join us next time for more teaching from David right here on the Radical Together podcast.